Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MD. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. It's officially 2024, so I can officially tell you. Happy New Year. Y'all tired of me doing these um, these sound effects? Yes? Well, get over it because uh, I think there is no more appropriate time for me to do sound effects than on a podcast or a radio show. And since we're not on a radio show, here we are at podcast. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And um, if you're a college football fan and your team didn't make it, I am sorry, but Michigan Wolverines are national champions. And you know, our parents are proud alum. And you know, we're from Flint, Michigan. Just playing. I'm from Dallas, Texas, but my parents are from Flint. So, you know, we we still going to represent anytime we can over here, okay? So, don't play with us. I ain't going to play the song, but you know what time it is, okay? So, I had to do that, too. I, I recorded one time, but then I had to come back and do it all over again because, you know, I had to stunt real quick. It would, it would only be right. <laughs> Okay, it will only be right. But listen, I'm happy to be back with you guys. But before we get into our true crime case for today, I have two quick things before we jump right on in. The first thing is, is I want to get into your business real quick because we're going to start something new. So every other week, I'm going to be asking you a poll question that is going to have zero to do with a true crime case because I think we have to add a little spiciness here on the show and I want to get into your business and I am going to be fair. I'm going to let you get into mine as well. Okay. So the first poll question of the new year is, are you the type of new year person where you create new year resolutions? And You know, a lot of the new year resolutions have to do with new year, new me, and they center around fitness goals, but it doesn't have to do with fitness goals necessarily, right? Like it could be whatever you want it to be, but do you always do this every new year, right? Like, do you always create resolutions around the new year? Or are you the type of person where it doesn't matter the time of year, you're always going to create goals centered around yourself? It doesn't matter if it's a year, new year or not. Let me know in the poll section, okay? I want to get into your business. And I almost came on here to let y'all know the type of person I am, but it will only be right if you tell me first, right? Like, so you tell me, then I'll tell you. Okay, so that's the first course of action. You tell me and then I'll tell you. The next thing is I had a couple of people in our review section tell me 
Y'all said, listen, I'm here for the coffee in the morning. I'm definitely here for wine in the evening, but we don't have no lunch drink. We need a lunch drink. And I was going to come up with that on my own. But the truth of the matter is, is I just don't think I have a good one in mind. So I need for y'all to tell me what a good lunch drink is. So instead of dropping that in the question section, no, that is reserved this week strictly for our true crime episode. So y'all gonna need to head on over to Facebook or head on over to Instagram and let me know what our lunch drink should be. And then next week, based on the consensus, we will add that into our tagline, okay? So y'all do your due diligence, let us know your business, then we'll let you know ours, and let us know that lunch drink, and we'll include it. Because we a family, we like to collaborate and listen, okay? So let's do that. Now that we took care of business, like we always do, we don't usually take care of that much business in the beginning of our episode, but we had to, right? Like we had to take care of that business. So let's go ahead, grab your coffee if it's the morning. We'll take care of lunch in between time and then grab your wine if it's the evening. Either way, let's get into it. Let's get into our true crime case for today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today's case is about Gloria Pointer. I've entitled this case, Consistency That Will Motivate Generations to Come. On the morning of December 6, 1984, Yvonne Pointer had a nightmare. It was so horrific and felt so real that she had the hardest time waking up. Have you ever had one of those dreams? She kicked the blankets off of her, but the sheets clinged to her body and her eyelids remained shut. Beads of sweat filled her forehead, but she kept seeing blood in her dreams. She needed to call the police, but she couldn't force her eyelids open. She managed to kick the sheets from her body, but her eyelids remained shut. What was she going to do? She needed assistance. She needed help, but her eyes just would not open. She frantically moved within her bed, but she just could not get help. She just could not call 911 and she needed help. She wrestled back and forth within her bed, crinkling every sheet back and forth. The fitted sheet tore back off of the mattress. Finally, she was able to wake up and stood straight up within her bed. And that's when her eyes opened and she realized that she was okay and her family her family they were okay everything 
was fine. It was just a dream. And that morning was normal. It was just a dream. We all have those, right? Gosh. And this morning was not just necessarily normal because her 14-year-old daughter, Gloria, was actually receiving a perfect attendance award at her junior high school. Now, Gloria wasn't just your normal 14-year-old junior high school student. Gloria was, I want to say she was, you know, she was kind of perfect. And this is coming from her mother's voice. According to her mother, Yvonne, Gloria was perfect. She had a very bubbly personality. She was a cheerleader. And she was the epitome of what you expect a cheerleader to be minus the mean girl, okay, that we think about. She was bubbly. A lot of people liked her. She cared about people. And she was just very kind. And on this particular morning, she was getting ready. She was very bubbly about the day. And she was excited that she was getting this perfect attendance award. It was something to brag about and to have bragging rights about, right? And so this was not the ordinary morning for Gloria. So as she was getting ready, she actually called her best friend up on the phone and she told her, she said, hey girl, before I, you know, walk to school, I'm going to stop by your house to pick up a comb. Can I borrow this special comb that you have so that I can put it in my hair so that I can look good for the award ceremony? And of course her friend said, yeah, girl, like that, that'll be fine. No problem. And you know, she was just really, you know, excited about it. And not only that, but another person who knew that Gloria was excited about this award ceremony was her cheerleading coach. And her cheerleading coach, coach's name was Coach T. Stowarth. And she would also be in attendance, but she had been talking with Gloria the day prior, and she knew that Gloria was going to be excited because they had been talking about it. And her and Gloria had a very good relationship. And it really reminded me about, you know, just the mentor relationship that a lot of us engage in, especially as we matriculate through our education. And she described their relationship as, you know, that Gloria was like a daughter to her and they were very close and she could tell that their relationship had the potential of matriculating into being a friendship as Gloria went throughout high school and, and then, you know, grew up. And I really related to that. And I think a lot of us can relate to that mentor-mentee relationship um, as we matriculated through either junior high school, like Coach T. Stalworth and Gloria, or through 
high school, that coach we had or that teacher that we once had. And she just said, you know, that Gloria was very special and they had a special bond um, between each other. And she just absolutely adored Gloria. And she looked out for her and she said that Gloria was something special and that she just, you know, tried to stand in the gap, give Gloria good advice and look out for her whenever, you know, she could. Now, it was a very cold day, and I want to tell you that this took place in Cleveland, Ohio, and so we're in December, so it's it's cold, it's snowing, and Gloria um, is walking to school. This was something that Gloria always did. Um, so it was not out of the ordinary for Gloria to walk to school. Now, Gloria, it was in, inside of the household. It was Gloria, her mother, Yvonne, Gloria's stepdad, and her brother. Now, we don't know the, 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 the regular uh, routine of the household other than we know that Gloria usually walks to school. We do know that on this particular day, Gloria walked to school and um, her mother, Yvonne, her stepdad, and her brother also are going on, on their way to, the, to go on their paper route, okay? And this is when Gloria's mother, Yvonne, spots her right? And she spots her taking this shortcut, right? And she, she looks at her and she screams at her and she says, Gloria, what are you doing? Why are you taking this shortcut? Why are you going that way? And it's a noticeable shortcut, Right. And most of the kids take it. It's like, you know, it's a it's a, a alleyway that you can take. It's a quicker way to go to school. And um, she says, you know, I don't want you to go that way. Don't take it. Don't take that way. Go the usual way to school. And she, you know, yells back at her mother. She's like, OK, mom. All right. I'll go the usual way. And, you know. Her mother turns and goes her way towards the paper route. And Gloria continues to go in the way of the alley, which is the shortcut way. So she doesn't adhere to what her mother tells her. She goes the way of the shortcut way, right? Which is the faster way to go to school. Shortly after, a friend of Gloria named Lamar Thomas catches sight of Gloria behind him. So that means that she makes it through the alley, which is the shortcut way, right? And he claims that she was with a friend who he believes is a friend, which was a male. And he says that she was behind him but that they went up by the side of a house and they seemed to be like playing around or, you know, kind of like roughhousing. But he kind of just presumes that they're going to, you know, eventually make it to school. They're goofing off or whatever. And so, you know, he doesn't pay. He doesn't really pay them any mind because he's trying to get to school himself. But meantime, in between time at the schoolhouse, Deshaun 
Haley, her boyfriend, Gloria Pointer's boyfriend, is waiting for her in the school hallway before homeroom. And this is something that they would usually do, right? This is a usual practice of Deshaun Haley and Gloria Pointer. They would wait for each other before homeroom. They would meet each other at their lockers at one of at either Deshaun's locker or Gloria's locker. They would talk, they would link up, and then they would go to homeroom. So this was a practice of theirs. But she never shows up. So she was so late that she missed the award ceremony. So this is a red flag to the school office. This is a red flag. Why? Because she is a perfect a person who has perfect attendance. She is never absent. So this sends off alarm bells to the school office. So she misses the award ceremony and she's absent. So, you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on. They bring in her best friend to the office. And this is when her best friend tells the office, well, you know what? She was supposed to come by and pick up a comb right before school. She was supposed to walk to my home before she came to school and pick up a comb, but she never did that. She never stopped by to receive that, that comb. So the office is now is like, you know what? Let's call her mom. So they call Yvonne Pointer and they tell her, they say, is she at home? Because she's not here. And so she's, you know, Yvonne's really kind of bewildered. She's like, She's not at school. And so they're checking around. They they get on the loudspeaker at school. And so they're trying to, you know, and so Yvonne is like, well, she's not here. And they're like, well, okay, we'll call you back, ma'am. We're going to try to see if she's at school. Let's, we're going to make an announcement, you know, on the loudspeaker and try to see if we can locate her at school first. But we know that she has been marked as absent. So they get off the phone with Yvonne Pointer. And they make an announcement. Deshaun Haley recounts about how he remembers hearing this announcement and he becomes a little anxious and, and worried and, and and really is just trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together because this is unlike Gloria to be missing. So they make this announcement and realize that nobody can locate her. Nobody has seen her. She's not in any of the places at school, not in the gym, not in the library, not anywhere. So 20 minutes later, they call Yvonne Pointer again and they tell her, you need to contact the police because she's not here. But Little did Yvonne Pointer know the police had already been contacted because just up the street at an apartment building, they had been called on scene to that apartment building because of some suspicious activity at the apartment building by the school. And it is at this apartment building by a metal fire escape near some steps at the basement level of this apartment building 
that a body was found. And this is where an investigation begins. On the basement floor of this apartment building, they discover a body and they observe a victim who was lying on her stomach at the foot of the stairs. They find a school ID and a book bag, which were found on the scene as well. And sadly, that belonged to Gloria Pointer. It was a horrific crime scene. Gloria had been beaten to death and there was evidence of a sexual assault. Now, Detective Abernathy was at the scene and it was extremely hard for her to digest the crime scene of a 14-year-old child that had been savagely beaten and brutalized. And all she was trying to do was go to school that morning. And I think that says a lot because Detective Abernathy had a long history of being a detective and processing crime scenes and investigating crimes. But I think that this just speaks of how hard it is to deal with crimes against young people. It is insanely hard to deal with people murdering children. And even though it was hard for Detective Abernathy to deal with this, she was committed to solving this crime. Now, word spread of this crime quickly at David Junior High School, which was the junior high school where Gloria Pointer attended. Deshaun, her boyfriend, heard of the news pretty quickly and he couldn't handle it. I mean, he left school. He just could not process what he heard. And that's fair. I mean, I think anytime you're dealing with something as horrific and as sudden as a death like this, it is hard to handle and process it. I think your brain immediately is just trying to just handle the fact that you just saw this person and now they are gone. They're just gone. And you'll never see them again. Coach T. Stalworth was really speechless because the week that Gloria died, she just sat down with her students in her gym class, one of her students obviously being Gloria Pointer, and they just went over a section called Stranger Danger at School. And Gloria remarked, do we have to go over this, Coach? And Coach Star Wars said, yeah, we do, because people are crazy. So the fact that Gloria had been taken in a manner by someone they presumed to be a stranger was just 
absolutely breathtaking for Coach T. Stoward. I mean, she just could not fathom that they just went over something like that and that just that week, days later, Gloria was gone. Law enforcement made its way over to inform Gloria's family of her death. And if you remember, just that morning, Yvonne's mother had that horrific dream of blood being everywhere. That premonition that something was terribly wrong. And she recounts that when law enforcement came to her door and said that they had found a body. That's all they said. She instantly collapsed. She said that it felt like an out-of-body experience. She describes it as if it is, you know, she said she was just seeking comfort. And hours earlier, she was alive. Gloria was alive. She was upbeat. And she described Gloria as obedient. She was caring, loving. She described Gloria, as I already said, as perfect. She was a perfect child. She also says that days after knowing that your daughter died of a homicide, you're just trying to adjust to the emptiness of it. But you don't really have time to just really even do that because now you're trying to plan a funeral. And because of the viciousness of the crime, because she was beaten to death, you know, they warned her not to look in the casket. They said, you know, don't look into the casket. You know, it won't, it's not going to be as you remember. Just, you know, don't look into the casket. But for a mother, I think, I, not even I think, I know. You're going to look into the casket. You're going to look at your child. That's your child. And she looked in the casket. And she promised her daughter that day that she was going to find out who committed her murder. But that was not the only person who was making Gloria a promise, who was committed to Gloria that she was going to find out, to seek justice, who committed and carried out the murder of Gloria. Detective Abernathy was just as committed. She even became obsessed with who carried out the murder of Gloria. So Detective Abernathy actually rechased Gloria's route, the route that Gloria took to school that day. Now she took what she took what they nicknamed the cut. 
She took that at 7.10 a.m. Gloria was spotted by a teacher who was driving to school. She wasn't alone. She was with the male. And they split around a car. Like, you know, Gloria went one way and it looked as if they were together. But Gloria went one way around a car and then the guy went another way. And this teacher recounted to her husband or remarked to her husband. She said, you know, I wonder what Gloria's doing out so early. And several minutes after that, you know, Gloria was seen with this guy by several people. But he had on heavy clothing, which made it almost up to impossible to get a very good description or a solid description about him. Something that would make it uh, make him stick out. So he got a very general description like, oh, he, you know, he had on he had a broad build. He had on a lot of clothes. You know, there was nothing that stuck out that would make investigators be able to say, you know, he had on this or he, you know, had a slim build. It was just very general. Now, she didn't show any fear. It didn't seem like she was upset. She didn't scream. So they really kind of had a mystery man on their hands and they didn't have any real where to start. And whenever that happens, you've got, you guys have heard me say here on Murdering the Black before, that means they have to do some real police work. You know what I mean? They have to really start to pound the pavement. They have to start to canvas the area and really depend on community help to really get the answers that they need because they don't have any real where to start. They don't have any real witnesses, so to speak. They don't have any um, good descriptions of the person to go on. And so they have to really start to do some uh, investigative work to try to figure out who this person is. But they kind of get a real good start because hours after the murder of Gloria takes place, another attack happens close to where the school was of a man that attacks another young girl, but the attack is derailed and the girl gets away and the man is caught. And so a lot of people start to think that they may have got their guy. And what you need to know is that in 1984, there was a lot of things happening back in Cleveland, Ohio. And I didn't even know this, but why would I? Because I was not born in 1984. I was actually born in 1987. So the truth of the matter is, is I wouldn't know this <laughs> anyway, right? I wouldn't know this at all. But in 1984, it was a frightening year because there were four other attacks of young girls. And actually, Gloria was the fourth young girl who was murdered, who was 14 years old in Cleveland, Ohio. So there was a lot of young girls who was murdered in 1984 in Cleveland, Ohio during this time. So this was just a year of absolute horrific turmoil in the city of Cleveland.
The investigation really picks up and we find out that Gloria and her stepfather did not have the best of relationship. Gloria really did not get along with her stepfather. And we know that the investigation has to begin with, you know, familial ties first and then investigators zoom out and really kind of start to look at other uh, people in her sphere of influence. They didn't get along and we really don't know why that relationship wasn't the healthiest, but we know that they didn't get along and he really did not grieve her death um, openly. And because of that, they had to look at it because it seemed kind of suspicious. But after looking into his timeline and where he was during the time that it was believed she was killed, he was ruled out. Of course, they had to look at her boyfriend, Deshaun, but you know, it was pretty much believed that he was at school during the time of the attack. And they could not place him at the apartment building when she was killed. Now, they couldn't definitively place him at school, but they could not absolutely rule him out either. So they kind of put that to the side as well. And the, I think the other reason why they believe that he might have had something to do with it is, you know, like as far as motivation is because her mother didn't allow her to date. So was she getting to school early to meet up with him and something happened? I don't know. Maybe it was reason enough to question him. Okay. So, you know, they brought him in for further questioning. He was upset. And obviously was hurt by her death. But, you know, police have to do their due diligence. But he gladly opened the questions or welcomed the questions. I said opened. But he welcomed the questions. But he didn't have anything to do with it, according to him. But he just felt like, okay, I'll answer your questions. But I didn't have anything to do with this. However, another suspect emerged as they began to build their investigation. And this suspect was a neighbor. And he was very odd. It was believed that he had a mental instability as time went on. But this neighbor just really would talk about female body parts a little bit too much and would do it in a very weird manner. Yvonne believed that if it was anybody who could probably or more than likely do something to Gloria, it could be this person just because of how odd he would act. It was believed that he might be disturbed. So, and I think what really gave her the reason to believe this was because of what he did at Gloria's wake. So at Gloria's wake, the casket was opened and this neighbor approached her casket and kissed Gloria on her lips. I mean, just outright bizarre behavior. And nobody would do this unless you are family. And I would dare to say that even if you are family, if you're not a grandmother or Yvonne, this is weird. This is, this is weird behavior. This is very odd. And because of this, the police heard about this. They knew about his past behavior. And they felt like this is downright inappropriate. They brought this man 
in the very next day before her funeral, they brought him in for questioning. And really nothing ever really came from this. So it is believed that they let him go. So we talked about at like hours later after the murder of Gloria Pointer's murder at 6.30 p.m. There was an attack on another girl. She escaped and it was not too far from the junior high school. And this was an attack by a man named Romel Broom. Now, he had a previous record of rape. Now, detectives felt like they had their guy. Like, you know, hands down, this is the person who murdered Gloria Pointer. He then, you know, went and did his, you know, well, you know, he murdered Gloria and then went and wanted to have his way again with another young girl. So this is the result, right? So detectives brought in the two witnesses that they did have, and the two witnesses did pick him out of a lineup. However, the witnesses only saw him from the side or the back. So this is not even really good. This is not good evidence. It's not credible. It's not credible enough. So it's not even enough evidence to bring charges up on him for Gloria Pointer's murder. However, they did have enough evidence to bring charges up on him for the murder of Trina Middleton, whom he had killed in Cleveland, Ohio, that previous year. Now, the judge sentenced him to death for that murder. Now, although they didn't have enough to pin him for the murder of Gloria, despite not having enough evidence, the detectives... And even Yvonne Pointer felt like he murdered, he murdered Gloria. Like, this is, this is the guy. We have our guy. And Yvonne, the one thing that I want to highlight is Yvonne's persistence. She was resilient. She was bound, obsessed with the fact that she was going to have justice for her daughter. And so she was going to write Broom a letter while he was in jail every single day, whether he wrote her or not, and ask him if he killed her daughter. Now, he never wrote her back, but for her, that was not a denial. It was like, okay, he's not writing me back, but maybe he will write me back. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he'll write me back. Like, he's not saying no. This isn't a no. So, this is a good thing. I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep writing. And every time she wrote, she just kept saying, hey, can you, I, if you kill my daughter, I'll forgive you. I just want to know, did you kill my daughter? Did you kill my daughter? And that's what she would say. And he would never write her back. 
never say anything. Years went by. Days turned into years. Years turned into decades. We know. We know it, right? We know how that goes. But for her, she was she was steadfast. She was resolved that I'm going to keep writing because I'm going to receive an answer. And as she wrote, time went past and technology evolved. Do you believe in the adage that time heals all wounds? I don't know if I do or not, but it's something to think about. However, it is a fact that time waits for nothing and no one. And time kept on moving for Yvonne Pointer. But she used it wisely. She kept giving and helping others. She started a midnight basketball league to help keep teens off the streets. Her theory was is that if she opened the gym from 10 p.m. to about 2 a.m., it would reduce crime, and it did. She became a surrogate mother to the youth in her neighborhood. She stayed faithful, and I think she stayed faithful when it was probably easier for her to give up because when your daughter is murdered on her way to school and after about 25 to 30 years and her case is unsolved, I think sometimes it's just easier to just fall on your sword and say, I just give up. And perhaps it's more understandable to give up because those are insurmountable situations that it's understandable just to say, I'm tired. But not for Yvonne Porter. It strengthened her. It gave her a strength that a lot of us would be lucky enough to have a fourth of what she had. And she stayed faithful. She stayed so faithful that she went through about five police chiefs to stay up to date with her on her daughter's case. She told five police chiefs that, yeah, by the way, I have not forgot about my daughter and I don't want you to forget about her either. The last police chief that she stayed up to date with was Ed Toma. She walked up, introduced herself and said, hey, I want to partner with you. I don't want to get in your way. I don't want to become a bugaboo. I just want you to know that I want to get my daughter's case solved. And I just don't want you to forget about her. And Ed Toma had no problem with that. He said, hey, I want you to know that I haven't forgot. And I remember your daughter's case. But you know who else did not forget about Gloria Pointer's case? Detective Abernathy. And by this time, she was retired. But despite retiring, she didn't stop. Her involvement with Gloria's case, it didn't stop. She kept in touch with detectives. She gave them her ideas. She kept her foot on the gas. Yvonne would also reach out to former convicts, killers, 
hoping maybe that they would know or hear of someone who knew of someone who knew of something. She kept writing to Ramel Broom despite hearing nothing. Crickets. He was on death row and she was worried that he would die without answering her question. By this time, Richard Bell, who was an assistant DA, opened a cold case squad. And the first case on their docket was Gloria Pointer. Turns out nobody really forgot about Gloria Pointer. She was the first case on their docket. They collected every scrap of evidence when her case was fresh, new, when it first dropped. And I want you to know that this was before they knew how important DNA evidence would be. This was only when blood typing was a thing. DNA didn't even exist. They didn't know, but God did. However, over the years, they tried to use DNA technology to solve the case. They were able to finally retrieve a profile. It is a very weak profile by only today's standard, okay? But they were able to retrieve one. So they... So it was a weak one by today's standards, but they sent it off to a DNA database, but no match was made. So over the years, DNA technology, it keeps improving. It produces better markers, better matches. They try again. And when they try again, they get a better DNA profile. They compare it to the person of interest in the case. So just to remind you of the person of interest in the case that we know is Deshaun Haley, Gloria Pointer's boyfriend back in the day. It's also that weird neighbor and it is Romel Broom. So they compare it to those people and they were able to rule out Deshaun Haley. Deshaun said that he was happy that he was ruled out if for no other sake other than to just give Yvonne Pointer peace of mind that he had nothing to do with it. I mean, he always knew he had nothing to do with it, but it was just give her that peace of mind that he had nothing to do with it. Um, We don't really get a real comment from the weird neighbor guy that was presumed to have something to do with it, but you know, the peace of mind that he didn't, right? And then Romel Broom was ruled out that he had nothing to do with it. And what's interesting is that although he was ruled out and his DNA didn't match, his execution date was coming up in 2009. But a lot of people, and by a lot of people, I mean some of the detectives and Yvonne still felt like he had something to do with it. And I'm going to hold my opinion of that, but I just think that it's interesting that DNA ruled him out, but they still felt like he had something to do with it. So despite him being ruled out as a person that had nothing to do with it based on his DNA, Yvonne still felt like she needed to write him so that he could say definitively whether he had something to do with it or not. So she 
wrote him a letter and asked him if he had something to do with the murder of her daughter. And he wrote her back. He said, with my last dying breath, I had nothing to do with your daughter's death. Now they could not find a vein the day of his execution. And so he was not executed that particular day. And a lot of detectives felt like he's only saying that to you because, you know, he's just trying to trick you. He's trying to, and this is, this is when they knew that he, he was ruled out by DNA, but she felt like he was being honest that for her clothes, that was closure for her, that he didn't have anything to do with, with it. She believed him. He actually told her like, you really need to go forward and find who actually, you know, did murder your daughter. I had nothing to do with it, but you still had some detectives who felt like, oh, he's just sending you down a rabbit hole. He did it. You know, he's the person who really did it. But she just felt like she had more questions than answers more than anything else. And she just kind of felt like, gosh, you know, what, 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 what am I going to do now, God? Like, I was really, I really thought I had the person, but now, you know, I don't. What does this even really mean? And so now she was set back on the path of finding out who committed the murder of her daughter. In 2013, one of Yvonne Pointer's family members are reading the Cleveland newspaper and they notice a particular article that is discussing DNA technology, specifically chemical DNA technology that is making a splash in cold cases. It's actually solving them. And so she makes a decision to send an email to this reporter because she wonders if this technology can actually solve her cousin's case. And so this reporter tells her, yeah, I actually think this could solve Gloria's case. This is a high profile case. I'm actually shocked that the DA office has not used this technology to solve the case. So the reporter takes it upon herself to reach out to the DA's office to see why they have not used this technology in Gloria's case. So the DA's office reaches out to Ed Toma he reaches out to the coroner's office and Ed Toma in the coroner's office actually tells the DA, listen, we've actually tried to submit the DNA profile that we actually have to CODIS so that we can have a shot at using chemical DNA technology to use so that we can solve Gloria Pointer's case. So this is not something that we are not already aware of. Now, you may be saying to yourself, now, what now? What are you saying, Steph? Like, so they knew about this and they don't have access to it. Why not? Well, let me tell you something I learned. So you have to understand that technology is ever evolving. And because it is ever evolving, that means that something that is used five years ago or something that is considered new five years ago, or maybe even just two years ago is kind of old, right? So I already told you that the profile that they were able to obtain that is considered weak in today's time by today's standard 
well, the truth is it was just weak. And so they didn't have a lot to go on. And a program like CODIS is, it has a standard and you have to meet that standard. And they just couldn't meet the standard. And there's nothing that you can do. If you don't meet the standard, well, you just don't meet the standard. That's pretty much it. But because they were able to obtain this profile that they did have, they were able to meet the state's standard. And because they were able to meet the state's standard, well, they got a hit. Yeah. After 30 years, after being convinced that Romel Broom was their person, they got a partial DNA profile from that, what is considered to be a weak profile. They got a partial DNA profile. And it was someone who was living amongst them the whole time. It was Hernandez Warren. Hernandez Warren. He had an extensive criminal background. He had spent 16 years in prison for rape and kidnapping in 1985. And they felt like they didn't want to just bring him in in a very natural way and kind of play good, good cop, bad cop. They wanted to bring him in in a different type of way. They knocked on his door, said they were FBI and, you know, local PD. They said, hey, we need your help. We're looking at some cases that happened in the 1970s and 1980s. We're, you know, going through the neighborhood, asking different people to help us. Do you mind helping us? And he said, yeah. Voluntarily sat down with the police and law enforcement. No attorney, no nothing. They begin to show him pictures. Of course, he says he doesn't know who this is. They show him a picture of Gloria. He says he doesn't know who it is. But eventually, he breaks. And he tells authorities that he attacked Gloria while she was walking to school that morning. He alleged that he was high on drugs at the time. He lured her to the back stairwell of the building. He told authorities that he killed her. But why and how? He doesn't know. He was effed up. Effed up. His words, not mine. He raped her at the bottom of the stairwell. He said that after he raped her at the bottom of the stairwell, she started to follow him. He confessed to pushing her down the stairs and then beating her with a brick or a pipe. He told Detective Lim Griffin, I'm a punk. I ain't got no hearts. I deserve to die. I've been thinking about this since I got out the joint. In May of 2014, Hernandez Warren, then 59, pled, pled guilty to aggravated murder and rape in Pointer's murder case. As a part of the plea deal, he received a life sentence with the possibility of parole after 30 years. He later attempted to withdraw his guilty plea, but the court denied his appeal. 
Yvonne's motto is one pointer, one passion, one purpose. Yvonne was inducted into the Ohio Women's Hall of Fame. She was awarded the 908th Point of Light National Tribute to Americans who made positive differences by then President George H. Bush. The Federal Bureau of Investigation awarded Mrs. Pointer the Director Community Leadership Award on April 19, 1993. On May 4, 1994, Yvonne received the National Council of Negro Women's Tribute to Black Women Community Leaders Award. She co-founded the Parent Against Child Killing. She is also the founder of Positive Plus Women's Support Group. Yvonne has a host of awards. She's an activist, a speaker, an author, and a philanthropist. Thank you so much, Yvonne Pointer, for your bravery, your consistency, and your story. Takeaway. So, two things. This is my second time listening, or this was my second time listening to this story. I heard this story last year in 2023. I want to say at the top of 23, 2023, um, last year. I... I don't know what I was doing. I don't know that I was researching a case. I want to say I was just watching because we all know, you know, obviously I'm a podcast host, but um, I research cases intentionally. And I don't think I was researching cases intentionally. I want to say that I wasn't. And I heard this case and I remember Coach T. Stoward that I was actually sitting down watching it. And I vividly remember Coach T. Stower because she made me laugh. Like, she was just very jovial and joking. And I, w- I remember laughing at her. And I remember her, like, making me remember a coach that I had in high school. And laughing at her and joking. And, and that was it. And I don't, it made an impression on me. But it did not make a lasting one in the sense that I wanted to do a podcast on it, right? So I was like, okay. And then I remember watching another one right after that. And then that one made me do a case on one. And I won't go into the one that it made me do a case on because I did a case on it. And um, we're not talking about that. So, (laughs) so, yeah. So, anywho. I listen, I watch Dateline, like visually watch it, and I listen to it because that's how much of a true crime head I am. And I listen to it, and um, I was listening to it recently. And I listened, and I was just, you know, doing something else in addition to. And I was like, oh my God, I know this before it even got into it. I said, oh my God, I know this. And I was like, I I know this story. And before I could even get deep into it, I was like, I got to do this case because I got something different out of it. And have you ever done done a case 
Or have you ever read, watched, or just redid something over and you got something totally different out of it than when you first did it? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like you redo something and you get something totally different out of it than when you first did it before. That's how it was for this case. I had, I I liked the case when I first did it. It made an impression on me, but it didn't stay with me like it did this time. And being, going in a new year, I want, it brings about a different perspective anyway. And it should, it should. Going into a new year should always bring about a different perspective. Goal or not, it should always bring about a new reflection anyway right and the one thing that I can say about this case and I'm about to give you a totally new takeaway that you don't that you're not used to having from me is Yvonne Pointer's perspective is a game changer her perspective is a game changer from the onset of this case from the time that she found out her daughter died her perspective was totally different than i've ever seen anybody's perspective be and i have i have i have digested a lot of true crime cases and so have you be honest so have you have you ever seen somebody react like she did this woman quite literally said grief is gonna take a back seat that's what she said those are her words not mine she said grief is gonna take a back seat I have to find out who killed my daughter and she didn't ignore grief I think she grieved because it's very different. But I think she fueled her grief through the work. She fueled her pain through the work. And she allowed the consistency to fuel her work of good deeds and in a time where it was easier to give up she pushed harder and I took a I took a new meaning for myself from her for that to apply to my life and I'm sure it could be argued that, like, you know, that's such a heinous act that one person did. But she turned tragedy to triumph. And I know a lot of people say, like, here in our community, in the black community, we take a lot of those, like, sayings. And if you notice, like, throughout this throughout this episode, I used a lot of adages which adages are just like quotes and sayings that people, you know, things that people say that go throughout 
that are transient they go throughout time and you, you, you definitely hear, hear a lot of old people say them um and we say things like you know tragedy the triumph we say things like god doesn't call the qualify you know he qualifies the call we say things like that um but it's the truth right like it's it's very true and she definitely exemplifies to me how you can allow something so ugly something that could break you something that does break a lot of people but she made it beautiful like somehow she made that beautiful she allowed God to make it beautiful though you know what I mean and so like this is not our typical takeaway this is not our typical takeaway like we could spend some time talking about like like the fact that you know like Gloria she didn't scream like how do you truly prepare for stranger danger like we can we can really talk about that, like right, but I don't want to talk about that because we talk about that a lot here, and we know about all of those dangers, and we could talk about that premonition she had, right? Like we could talk about if if we're a fifth, but I just want to focus. <laughs> I just want to focus on the fact that like Yvonne has really allowed something that was so ugly that that man did and she's made it beautiful she's made it beautiful so I just want to encourage if you encourage you if you want to know more about this movement that Yvonne has like going on to go to www.yvonne y-v-o-n-n-e she spells it the traditional way pointer.com you can find out more about her you can find out more about her her slogan is live from from the hope of haven live from the hope of haven so um that's her that's her but the one thing that i did want to discuss before i drop real quick into something else and get away from the takeaway because that is my takeaway um you know I thought it was interesting that even the detectives kept pushing the narrative that it was Romel Broom despite the DNA evidence like disproving that it was him how odd is that like seriously how odd is that like y'all <laughs> And I have to say, in the first documentary that I watched about this, which, by the way, I'm going to put the ones that I watched in the show notes, which I'm I'm being very strategic about doing that every single time, um, just so that you can go and watch for yourselves. Um, but seriously, because the first one that I watched didn't even say that, right? So... Because I have to say, 
that's that's why sometimes it's so it's so good to like read articles which is why we on here on murder in the black we try to read articles and read as much as you can because there's different information in different source source material but like in the first documentary that i watched about this they didn't say anything about um the dna evidence disproving that romel broom was not the person um through dna evidence they didn't say that he wasn't right they just included that he said that you know with his last dying breath that he did not murder he did not murder gloria so when i found out through dateline that it was disproved through dna evidence that he did not murder gloria but then you still had some detectives that were like nah he still did it it's like y'all this is why innocent people are still in prison like what are you saying what he's st- you say he still did it like he yeah he did what he did to the because to, he did murder some young girls he did but he didn't murder her like come on this is wild that's scary that's scary to think i'm so sorry y'all drop in the question section and tell me what you think about that i just think i think that's wild that people think that i can get how yvonne pointer thought that right i can i can get how she could have thought that but detectives i'm looking at y'all like young you a little bit wild huh oh my god people people really are crazy out here b for real Mm-mm. yeah so that is our case for today y'all that case really oh i admire her consistency y'all when i tell you that detective abernathy even ed toma who was the chief um they broke down in tears about this case Ooh, child you talking about somebody cutting onions if oh if you're a crybaby and you just want to cry, like, seriously, go and go and watch this on Dateline. You'll just, you know, fistful of tears, honey. Fistful of tears. That's all I have to <laughs> all I have to say. All right, y'all. Welcome back. We are here. We're ready. We have gotten a lot of case suggestions. So don't worry. I am making my way through all of that. Um Let's see. I've gotten some case suggestions about Kwame, who is the mayor out of Detroit. Heard some things on TikTok about him. I am going to be resuming my TikToks on uh, my like story times with Steph. I'm going to be resuming those, but hold tight. I got to like kind of get myself together because those stories are going to be short. But I'm also, you know, getting myself together for murder in the black. That is a whole thing because like I y'all I'm doing everything. I am like the producer. I am the I am the uh, media person. I am I am all the things. So, you know, well, we gonna get it together because I can do all things. OK, don't play with me because I can't because <laughs> I can and I will <laughs> so y'all just y'all pray for stuff hashtag pray for stuff that's what I say all the time hashtag pray for stuff are you praying that's that's the that's the bottom line but are you so yeah continue to send in your case suggestions if you have quick stories that you know are like real quick 
send those in um they saying this is the year of truth cat williams started started us off right i think he started us off right and right okay so um yeah let's go ahead and get this started off right i think we'll have a good year this year y'all and i will see you next week make sure you care if you share this episode with friends and family drop drop us off those poll options let us know the type of new year person you are all up in your business and i will let you get all all up in minds next week okay until next time friends this is murder in the black